This week, ski racing champion Lindsey Vaughn. I'm an adrenaline junkie, you know. I love going fast. I love pushing myself to the limit. The three-time Olympian looks back on her early days of training. A lot of coaches tried to change my technique and say that I'm not good enough. And the thrill of competing at the highest level. When I won the Olympics, it was probably one of the greatest runs of my career. And I think the most intense amount of pressure. Vaughn also opens up about the come down of retirement. I was depressed and, you know, it was just, it was a really hard time. And how she found new purpose with her foundation. I mean, you, you take a, a child that wants to kill herself and I can help her. All that's coming up on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. I want to uh, take you back to your earliest days and obviously challenging pregnancy for your mom. Um, what do you know about the complications she had when uh, you were born? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of gotten bits and pieces out of her over time. Um, it's not really something she likes to talk about necessarily. But if she had a stroke while giving birth to me and they couldn't, the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. Um, there was different differences of opinions and uh, there was a 50-50 chance that she would survive. And thankfully, my dad and my uncle made the right decision. If they had chosen the other path, she would have 100% died. Um, so she is... Uh, what, what would have been... I don't know. Path. There was there was two different. There were differences of opinion of what was wrong with her. So one doctor said she had a stroke. Another doctor said there was something else going on in her brain. Um, and so if she would have gone and taken that medication that the other doctor wanted, she would have died. Um, so it was a pretty big gamble there. But uh, and there's no history of strokes in her family. So um, it was kind of just one one of those unfortunate things that happens during childbirth. Um, a lot of women have a lot of complications. Um, and my mom was in the hospital for, I don't know, six to eight weeks. Um, and my dad's pretty much all of his family came up to take care of me. Um, and my dad was still working full time as a lawyer. So thankfully we all made it through. And then my mom, who was an incredible warrior, then had four children well, after th me. Th that's what I was going to say. How, how, that seemed so remarkable yeah. that you could go through that and then still. Yeah, I think, you know, and the 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 uh, latter three are triplets and i guess i just found this out like not that long ago but the chances of her surviving that were very low because of her stroke history and because it was you know three children um and she could have aborted them and she didn't she chose to continue with the pregnancy and thankfully everyone made it out safe and sound and uh now we have five Five, five kids in our family and um, all equally weird. <laughs> no, my family is great. I love, I love my family and um, you know, my mom is just, like I said, she's an inspiration to me. Whenever I've been injured, I always look to her and I say, well, you know, she can't recover from what happened to her and I can. So I should just probably put that into consideration and realize that I'm very lucky and not complain and do the work and get better. You know, what, what did the recovery process entail for her to get back to where she is now? I mean, she's still trying to find ways to walk normally. She has a limp um, in her leg. You know, oftentimes with strokes, there's always one part of your body, usually one half of your body that um, is impaired after the stroke. And her, she had, she, she couldn't push off of her foot. She kind of had drop foot and um, she's, 
still swimming and like she's still trying to keep it activated, but it just, she did like electro stimulation. She's had surgery on her foot. She's um, really tried to make it better, but nothing's really done the trick. So, um, but for me, it doesn't matter if she gets, I mean, she's my mom. I love her no matter what. So what was it like growing up with four siblings? It was chaotic. <laughs> um, and I was the oldest and I was like, you know, the captain of the ship and should never put me in charge of four kids. Were you a good older sister? Um, I was pretty good, but you should ask them. They probably say I torture them. I, I was, um, no, I, I, I liked kind of being motherly with them and taking care of them. I mean, I made them lunches for school. When I got my license, I would drive them to school and pick them up. Like I, I really took it on, uh, took it on myself to take care of them as much as I could. I mean, my parents were working full time and, and I was of course skiing and traveling most of the time, but I always tried to do my part and help whenever I could. So when you're seven years old, your teacher asks you to write down your goals or your dreams, uh, what do you remember? I said, I wanted to be the greatest skier of all time. And it was just weird. I don't know where that came from because I had never really, in my, from my memory, I don't remember, you know, wanting to do that at that age, or I didn't really have any visual um, examples. You know, I never really watched skiing except for the Olympics. It wasn't, it wasn't on, on mainstream TV. So I don't know really where that came from, but um, I do remember growing up, I always practiced my signature too. It was like, I'm gonna be famous one day and I'm gonna, you know, have a really pretty signature and... Um, is your signature the same now as it was when you were practicing it yeah, when you were a kid? which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I always envied my dad. He always, he's a lawyer and he had beautiful handwriting and I just tried to always be like him and so I copied it and that's kind of how I signed my name. What do you remember from when the idea first came about that you needed to go to Vail? My dad had the idea to go to Vail. Um, it was the best ski racing program in the country. So Vail to him was like a logical choice. He also went there in like the 60s um, and skied with Pepe Gromsommer. And so he had a history there. I started going out there with my mother, I think when I was 11, drove 18 hours from Minnesota and we would um, stay there for a month or two, race, train, and then come back and then eventually you know, my mom didn't like being away from the kids and I felt like it was splitting up our family between Minnesota and Colorado. And so we all moved out to Colorado, but then my dad was still working in Minnesota. So either way, like it was just a really hard uh, situation for all of us. And you guys would occasionally sleep on the ground in the condo? Is that? Um, yeah, you know, when we were originally, when we originally moved to Vail with the whole family, we were in an, a small town home. Um, condo and um, there's only two beds. We would draw straws. Somehow I may or may not have always had the longer straw. So <laughs> Laura and Karn may or may not have always been on the ground, but we definitely had our, had our moments where we were all on the floor. <laughs> How did you and your siblings find out the Minnesota house was sold? Um, yeah, we were in Vail and uh, I think my my parents just had to make a decision based on finances and um, they just said, you know, we sold our house and we're like, what? We were definitely shocked, uh, very shocked, but. How, how did you guys handle it? We didn't handle it very well. I think we were all crying pretty intensely, but ski racing was my dream. It was never really their dream. So, um, and that way I felt uh, exceptionally guilty um, because 
you know, they they didn't ask for it. I mean, they missed their home in Minnesota, and, and I felt like I kind of took that away from them in a way. The decision was made for my career, mm -hmm. and that was pretty clear. So I knew from a very early age that uh, there's a lot of expectation on me. I always wanted to succeed for myself, but there was, I think, always in the back of my mind that feeling of, you know, I have to do this to, you know, for my family to prove that, that they made the right decision. And, and I think that's why, you know, when I won the Olympics, it was so emotional for me because that is what our family gave up everything for so that I could succeed and, and win that gold medal. And, and it was... Um, you, you said it, it almost validated the Yeah, it 100% validated. I mean, I felt a lot of joy, but I would say more relief than anything else, you know, because that had been the ultimate goal that we had set out to do. And we finally did it and it was, you know, everyone was crying. It was, it was like waterworks and siblings have a hard time having that conversation as well. It's just, you know, everyone feels like it was all worth it in the end. Uh, the early f like f financial challenges associated with just the pursuit of your dreams. Um, I think I read somewhere you said there were rules the, the family put on buying groceries after you guys moved to Vail, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, my mom, my mom's just, she's like a coupon cutter. She loves coupons and like, we're always trying to save money wherever we could. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say there were rules, but I think there was always, you know, a sense that we needed to um, make sure we were smart about what we did. And um, yeah, my mom was, was definitely good at, at finding deals. Like she's always... She's like a salesperson. Like if there's a sale anywhere in the vicinity, she's gonna find it and like that's where we're gonna go. How about best advice you got as a young skier? Um, I'd say best advice is just to be yourself. You know, um, Eric Seiler always said that I'm fast the way I am, my old coach in Minnesota. And, and um, a lot of coaches tried to change my technique and say that I'm not good enough or you know, the way you ski isn't ever gonna be good. And he just said, the reason why you ski that way is that's who you are, that's what your body is and you can't change it. So I always stuck to my guns and never really changed it. And yes, it got me into trouble. I crashed in a lot of races, but it also won me a lot of races. So in the end, I think Eric was right. You're 16, 17 years old on the US ski team and you overhear people in the hallway talking about how Eh, she's never going to be anything. My uh, my coaches, um, I overheard them, and they, yeah, they said that um, Julie Mancuso is going to be the next best thing, and I wasn't going anywhere, and they should just put all their money on her because she's going to go to the 2002 Olympics and not me. How did it affect you at the time? Uh, historically in my life, any person that tells me that I can't do something, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can to prove them wrong. So in a way, I think it motivated me um, and I proved them wrong. I was in the Olympics. I had the best um, US women's results of the whole games. Um, and somehow I, that didn't actually validate anything to them, but for me it was- It didn't? No, they still, it took me a, quite a while to still prove myself to them for some reason. I don't know. They just didn't really think that I was, I had the, at the time I was, you know, incredibly skinny and was like a size two gene. And okay, I, yeah, I see that maybe I wasn't the right body type at the time, but 
I definitely grew into my body and um, I think I turned out to have pretty good genetics for, for downhill skiing in the end. Well, on, on that front, um, I read that you trained so hard that I think you said something like you weren't even the same human that made the Olympic debut in 2002. Yeah, I, I definitely was a different person then. I think every year I've gotten stronger and smarter as an athlete, as a person. What did your dad used to tell you about how there are only two places in a race? Yeah, I mean, you're either first or you're last. It's like, you know, bottom line. And uh, it's not that he didn't accept, you know, not winning. It was just that ultimately the goal is to win. So if you're not winning, then kind of what's the point? And so... I kind of got to that stage in my career where I was, I had plateaued. I didn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't making any progress. And that's when I kind of really bought into physical training. I went to Monaco, hired this trainer. I've never been pushed so hard in my entire life. To this day, I don't even think I've been pushed that hard. It was almost like Navy SEALs training. Like it was you know, waters for wussies and, you know, it's like, it was old school, you know, push yourself to the max, like run until I tell you to stop. I, I'm surprised I didn't puke because I felt like I was going to puke all the time, but that was kind of, you're constantly in a state of complete exhaustion and you have to still push yourself beyond that. And um, Helpful? I think it definitely toughened me up quite a bit. Um, you know, he'd always call me fat and like, you know, it was just kind of, uh, I was definitely a much different person coming out of those training camps with him. And um, and now I know, you know, what my limits are. How hard are you on yourself? I'm definitely the hardest critic. You know, I'm pretty hard to please. I have a hard time saying that I did a good job at something. Um, working on that in therapy, though. <laughs> has it helped? Uh, yeah, it definitely has. I mean, it's I'm still... You know, I've a lot to work on, but I think I've, you know, after skiing, I think I've accepted that I have had success in my career. And even though it wasn't, you know, the pinnacle of, you know, I didn't beat the the record four wins shy of that, I I still need to accept that I did something that no one else has done. Um, and that's just, I don't know, it's weird. I, I don't really, I still feel like a failure at times. There's always going to be a question because I didn't break the record. And I can't say that I have the most wins of anybody. And without being able to say that, I feel like I can't really say I'm the greatest. You know, I'm, maybe I'm the greatest female skier, um, but I don't know. It, but that's just how my mind works. And I, that's why I you know, was successful at skiing is because I was never satisfied. And whenever I won one thing, I wanted to win the next. And you know, it wasn't that I set out to do all these things, but... I just kept wanting more and more and more, and nothing was ever really good enough. So, um, to your point, yes, I, I, yeah, don't really accept um, success and again therapy. You, you said uh, once before, all I've ever wanted to do is ski fast. I'm an adrenaline junkie. You know, I love going fast. I love pushing myself to the limit. I, I love the freedom um, of of ski racing. You know, there's no one out there judging you. You know, it's not a um, it's not a contest. It's whoever's fastest from point A to point B wins. And skiing is just, it's very freeing and invigorating and, you know, very difficult now that I don't have that because that was always my outlet. And so um, 
I don't know, driving my car fast isn't really helping either. So <laughs> trying to. <laughs> I, I understand you're known to do that too, whether it was on like European mountain roads when you were skiing or like grabbing the wheel when your mom's driving or. Yeah, I mean, my mom, yeah, I, I, I had many trips with my mom where I had my driving permit and I was doing the 18 hour drives. Um, and I'm like, mom, you drive too slow. I can't, you can't drive. I'm going to drive the whole way. How about the fastest you've ever gone on skis? In training, I was clocked at 84. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's probably around there. 85, 86, you know, is, is top speed. If you're on the highway, stick your head out the window. Obviously not if you're driving, but stick your head out the window. And that's kind of how it feels, you know, with the wind in your face when you're, when you're skiing down the mountain. And then, um, and then jump out, and that'll <laughs> that'll feel uh, like what it feels like for us when we crash. <laughs> how, how key is avoiding thinking about the danger element to it? Even though I've been injured many times, I love it so much. It, there's nothing about it that frightens me. You know, I love like the faster I go, the more fun I'm having. Um, and crashing is just a part of our job. There's people that have been paralyzed, lost their legs. Um, there's people that have died. You know, those are the risks that we take, and everyone knows that. Um, I think sometimes when you get injured, you think about it more. Um, I know a lot of athletes have, um, but I kind of not that I think about it less. I just it never even it doesn't even register to me because it's. I don't know. I, I do it because I love it, and that's it. D describe how you'll run a race in your mind. Uh, I mean, I'm, I visualize every course that I've ever run. Um, I learned it at, actually in Vail. Um, we used to kind of watch, we used to watch Lake Louise, which is I think one of the reasons why I was always so good at Lake Louise is when I was a kid, we used to watch the race on TV, which is one of the few races that was on TV. and we were told then to visualize that course after we watched it. And they would time us to see how accurate, like it really, like how close you could be to the actual time that they skied. Um, really? And then, yeah, and then we would do that with um, courses that we would run um, on Gold Peak. And same thing, we would try to be as close as possible to our actual times. And of course you can fake it, you know, you could pretend, but I always really tried to, you know, be as accurate as possible. And I, I challenged myself in that way. And uh, it really transitioned so well for me when I got to the World Cup. I mean, you have to know exactly where you're going at all times. Um, and the moment you forget or, you know, you are a little bit too far left off the jump, then you're going to crash. So um, I'm lucky that I was, I was taught that, but also that, I picked up on it quickly and it really came naturally to me. And you said, uh, once I visualize a course, I never forget it. Yeah, I mean, at least the World Cups, because I've run them a million times, but I'd say when I was a kid, I probably don't remember those courses. <laughs> I'm a little too old for that now, but. I mean, how, how clear would the World Cup ones be in your uh, mind? Oh, crystal clear, yeah. I mean, like Louise, I've run it uh, thousands of times in my head, so I could, I could do it right now, it's pretty easy. Your first Olympic race, your mom at the time called it the best day of her life. Aw, uh, she did? Why? I don't know, I mean, my mom is like, she's always happy and she's always has some sort of positive outlook on everything and I'm not surprised she said that. You know, I think that 
like I said before, I think for a family making it to the Olympics and, and winning at the Olympics, those are things that we all worked for as a family. You know, we've all sacrificed for it. So I think it was a proud moment for, for our entire family. I mean, I think it was always worth it to them, you know, towards the end, but I think winning the Olympics just solidified it. The gold medal in the downhill at the Vancouver Olympics, you just sort of blacked out, apparently, according to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, at, when I won the Olympics, it was probably one of the greatest runs of my career. And I think the most intense amount of pressure and I was definitely, you know, in the zone to the point where I have zero recollection of anything. I'd remember the start and I remember almost crashing by the finish because um, my shin was hurting so bad. And then um, I remember seeing my name in green, which means you're winning. And then I freaked out. You're dead. Complicated relationship. You called winning the Olympic gold the highlight of your career but I guess you've since said you wanted to call your dad at the time, but you didn't. Mm -hmm. um, why not? At the time, you know, things weren't great between us. And um, it's unfortunate because that was definitely one of the best moments of my life. And I wanted to share that with him. But, um, you know, it just was what it was at the time. And obviously things changed and I'm very happy for that. Um, but... You know, I think it's difficult for any, you know, parent-child relationship when, um, you know, you become successful in your sport. And there's, I haven't seen really one athlete-parent do it perfectly. There's always, you know, some sort of um, situation or issue. And I'm just happy that things with my dad are good now, so. What was the point in which, at the time, based on whatever you're thinking was then, you made the decision best for me to just cut things off? You know, I was married and we had just kind of gone our separate ways. Um, and when I got divorced, then, you know, I obviously called my dad, he's a lawyer, and um, it was hard at first, but we definitely worked our way back into it and eventually built up uh, our relationship to what it is now. And, and he said that at the time he called, emailed, did, I didn't you, see any of those. You didn't see any of them? I don't, yeah, I didn't see any of them, but um, that's not to say that he didn't write them. I just didn't see them. Because you had the, the, him, him blocked, or you no. just don't know if that actually happened? I know why, but I can't really tell you, so they were probably deleted. It was hard. I, I I guess I didn't really see it. It kind of eventually over time became what it was. And, you know, I was also, I was married at 22. So like, what did I know? You know, I was, I, I was so hyper-focused on skiing that I didn't really see a lot of other things that were going on. And it's unfortunate, but um, you live and you learn, you move on. And, you know, your family is my dad. So, you know, it's pretty easy to, rebuild a relationship with your father. How is it that when you were going through your divorce that you managed to have the greatest season ever by a woman in World Cup history? Because I was using ski racing as an escape. Um, ski racing is the place that I, I can go and I cannot think about anything else in the world. And so no matter what happens in my life, divorce, family, whatever it is, 
I can always go skiing and only be skiing, you know, be in the moment, not have anything on my mind, but enjoying what I'm doing. And it's always given me a great sense of happiness and fulfillment. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's hard now that I don't have that because that's always kind of been my go-to. And uh, working out was kind of taking that place a little bit. But, yeah, ski racing is just, I can, I can shut everything out. doesn't matter what is happening in my life. Ski racing is always been my rock. And you said back then, for the first time in your life, you realized you were skiing solely for yourself. It's always been me in the starting gate. But I think you know, others' expectations and, um, you know, how things kind of were dictated to me and the way that, you know, I trained and, you know, how I approached everything, that was Because not, if it wasn't your ex, it was your dad before that. Was that was just, yeah, it was, or my coaches, you know, that I'd never had enough confidence in myself to say, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to do something else. Um, and so I finally, you know, realized that, I'm the one that's there. I'm the one that's putting in the work. I'm the one that's risking my life. I became in control of my life on the hill and, and off the hill as well. I just made sure that, you know, my decisions were mine and mine alone. And I get advice from other people, but I made sure that no one was dictating anything to me. You don't strike um, me as I'm, somebody I'm very, that's like a, afraid to I'm a speak pushover. up for yourself. I'm a really? pushover, yeah. I have a really hard time saying no. Hence why I'm doing this interview. Oh, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. <laughs> that was a good one-liner. You petitioned to uh, compete against the men on the World Cup circuit. Uh, why decide to do it? I, you know, I had been training with the men since probably 2011, and I never usually timed with them because I'm like, ah, you know, I don't want to lower my confidence, you know, and get my ass kicked, and then, you know, not feel good about the training sessions. A couple of times we did, we did a, like video analysis and I was like right there with Axel, arguably one of the greatest downhill skiers of all time. And uh, I was like 200s or 300s behind him. I was like, holy shit, you know, I could, could I be competitive with the men? And you know, some of my coaches were kind of joking about it. I'm like, well, that's an interesting concept, you know, what a way to, to push myself. Because that's why I train with them to begin with, is because they're much better than I am, and I want to learn from them, and I want to be a better ski racer. So I was like, well, this would be the ultimate. You know, it's like uh, what uh, Billie Jean did or what Annika Sornstand did. It's like, you know, it's not so much that you want to beat the guys, it's that you want to be a better athlete. That's what Annika always told me, and I, you just have to be really persistent. You know, you have to really do your research and come up with you know, good solution, and I, I tried that, but no one, like my, my plan never really got past the front door. I don't even think they even read my petition. Why do you think they, like, denied the petition outright? I think some guys were worried that I would beat them. I mean, I got a lot of support from a lot of people. Axel and the Norwegian team was one of them. They were definitely wanted me to try it, but so, I mean, I would train with the Canadian guys sometimes, and like, they always had a bet that whoever got beat by me would have to do the dishes that day. And like, there were people doing the dishes, trust me. So, um, you know, I just don't think they like the idea of a woman racing with men. It just, you know, it's always been the perception that women's ski racing is so much inferior to men. 
that, you know, how could you compete? And so they were very close-minded to the idea. How do you think you would have fared? I have no idea, which is why I wanted to do it. You know, maybe I would get 30th, maybe I would get 50th. I, like, I, I don't mean, you know. think you could have won? No, I absolutely don't think I could have won. No, those guys are way too strong and powerful and I can't do what they do on skis. I want to. Knowing myself, I'd probably kill myself, you know, I'd try too hard and then I'd do something stupid, so. I mean, how short-sighted was that though on the, the Federation's part to not allow it? I mean, just to, for no other reason than exposure to that's the sport. What many, that's what I mean, the right. Canadian Federation was all for it because obviously yeah. it was in Lake Louise and they thought it was a great idea. I don't know, it's just the mentality of ski racing, you know, uh, a lot of male athletes were like, this is a joke, you know, she's a woman, like, she's no chance, like, what, this is just for PR. And I was like, there's a lot of things I could do for PR that, you know, don't involve me trying to petition. Like, there's a lot of work that went in, that was involved with trying to do this. And um, so, I don't know, I just think it's closed-mindedness, maybe. Michaela Schifrin, uh, when Outside Magazine declared her <laughs> the greatest skier ever, uh, why did it bother you? Well, you know, she is the greatest slalom skier, you know, ever. That's without question. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of sensationalization that media does a lot. And, you know, they take one thing and then they kind of generalize it and it becomes something totally different. And, you know, that was at the time I was still racing, I was still winning, and it's... It's great for her, but I feel like it was pretty disrespectful to me. She, you know, she's not responsible for what other people write about her. Um, what, what did you do after they uh, did the story? I don't know. I tweeted something, probably. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, I usually don't like it. It's not that it bothers me. It just, you know, I felt like it was just wasn't accurate, and it's not being honest. And and um, like, say it. She's the greatest slalom skier of all time. Just say that. It's not that hard. Don't make it, you know, something that it's not yet. I've been told that, like, you guys have at least somewhat of a challenged relationship. So first day she came to train with us, I said, you know, I know, you know, when you first come onto the team, it can be challenging and you don't know anybody. And then just I'm, my door is always open. I'm, I'm here to help. You know, I repeatedly, you know, tried to, you know, we, we always help each other with our course reports and, I think I just, uh, I don't, we didn't have a challenge relationship. She just, she had her own thing and she didn't really want to be involved or have my help or have anyone's help for that matter. So, um, and everyone has their own path. I don't hate on that. That's, that's totally, that's totally fine, you know, but. To, to what extent has that dynamic changed uh, um, since you're. It hasn't. It hasn't. No. Why do you think that is? I mean. Everyone has their own approach and hers is different from anyone else's and that's why maybe she's successful. Um, but I also think as a professional athlete and you know, someone who's the greatest of all time, it's your responsibility to help others. Like you're in a role that you could positively impact so many people and, and um, I don't feel like that's being utilized in the way that it could be. Really? What would you do differently? I should be a part of the team. You know, that's, but that's how I operate. I've experienced not being welcome in a team. I, I know the feeling of not being, not being involved in the team to the point that like you're winning and your teammates aren't in the finish area. 
And I also know the feeling of being a leader and including everyone and being a team and having your team in the finish area. What do you think of the current state of U.S. ski racing? Um, well, I'm actually working with them right now uh, to try to help help the state of U.S. skiing. Um, we don't really have a lot of athletes coming up in the ranks, especially on the women's side. Um, trying to figure out why that is and you know where the holes are in our system. Um, I'm also trying to help the college athletes who are um, who have World Cup spots but aren't on the U.S. ski team. Um, they don't have any support. They don't have any funding. They have really nothing. What do you think the biggest challenges are that they're facing? I think most most female athletes, especially skiers, are they they quit. You know, it's not fun or it's too expensive. You know, between you know 14 and 16, that's when most female athletes quit sports. And either they're you know they're pushed too hard or it's just not fun anymore. Like I said, and so we're we're losing athletes. In Europe, you know, you pay 15 euros and you got a lift ticket for the whole day. Here, it's like 150. You know, so it's it's quite a difference economically. And I think there's issues with the development team, and I don't agree with the way the athletes are are treated. And um, I think that's causing you know a lot of people to to quit, and it feels unattainable to them. Name all the injuries that you can remember getting. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've had two ACLs, MCL, I'd say probably four tibial plateau fractures on my right leg, uh, two on my left, uh, LCL on my left, uh, meniscus repair, meniscus, meniscotomy, what, what was it, well, they cut your meniscus out. Um, I've had a humerus fracture, spinal fracture, uh, I've still got the plate and the rods in my arm. Um, I've sliced my thumb, I've broken my finger at the Olympics, uh, I've broken my ankle, had a lot of concussions, broke my wrist. I don't know, I think that's kind of it. How many concussions do you think you've gotten? I don't even, I can't even count. I mean, I just kind of, I crash a lot, so a lot. <laughs> um, if I could, I wanted to name a few and just get you to recall what comes to mind. Uh, the first one being uh, you're going 70 miles an hour downhill, a training crash two days before the Olympics. Uh, that was my first partial ACL tear in Ore, Sweden, 2005, I think, 2006. 2006, yeah, February, yeah. What happened? I was skiing slalom, I straddled a gate and the, the, my tip actually stuck on the base of the gate and like hyperextended my knee, um, and partially tore the ACL. I didn't need surgery on that one, which was nice, but that's why I took the time to then get married after that because my season was cut short and um, I had won two medals in that, that world championship. So I was like, okay, well, this is a great season. So, you know, I'll be careful and make sure my ACL heals because, you know, in ski racing ACL is one of the most important parts of your body. Um, so yeah, that was the, kind of the first first of many ACLs. Your right knee bending inward sharply and you talked about an odd sensation where almost your body was going over the tips of your skis. That was in Schladming 2013 uh, where I tore my MCL, ACL, tibial plateau fracture, yeah. Ski stopped in the snow when I went, when I landed on the jump and 
is disgusting. What are, are you aware of what's going on in, in the moment or is the pain such that? Um, you don't really feel the pain necessarily while you're falling. It's kind of when you come to a stop and then it's either sharp or it's not. And usually you know right away if it's, if you're, if you're in one. If you're in one, you know that you're in one. And so in that situation, when you come to a stop. I knew my season was over. I didn't, I didn't know how long I would be out, but I knew it was out. How about November 2016? Uh, you severely fracture the humerus bone in a, your right arm in a training crash. That one was pretty gross because, you know, I, I crashed. It wasn't anything crazy. I just got my arm kind of stuck behind me and I fell onto it. Um, and of course, when I crash, I always check my knees first, you know, am I good? My knees are good. Yep. Everything's good. And then I tried to get up and I tried to like move my arm, you know, to push off and like I would move my shoulder, but the rest of my arm didn't move with it. And I could like, I could feel like the bone. It was absolutely disgusting. Like I could feel that there are pieces of bone, like can't really describe it. Um, it felt like my arm wasn't attached to me. Like I had this 15 pounds of weight that was not associated with my body. Um, and then there, was, there wasn't enough snow to have the trail go all the way to the bottom. So we had to evacuate me on a truck, in a truck on a dirt road. And uh, I was in so much pain, my physical therapist, Lindsay Winninger, had to keep hitting my face to keep me awake. Um, and I had oxygen and we didn't, something happened that day, we, the medical pack wasn't there, so we didn't have any, any pain meds. And by the time I got to the hospital, um, it had been about an hour and a half since my crash, and um, my, oh my, nerve, my nerve had popped out. So the bones were hitting um, on the nerve, and that's why I was in so much pain. Um, and because it had taken so long to get to the hospital, it had been a lot of, um, a lot of damage to the nerve. And I woke up from my surgery and I had no function or feeling in my, my hand. And I said, well, I, I asked the doctor, I'm like, did you guys put a nerve block in? And they're like, okay, this is worse than we thought. Well, Lindsay, you have nerve damage. We don't know how long it's going to take or if it's going to come back. I had a stroke hand, you know, I, I, it was curled up. I couldn't, I couldn't hold anything. I couldn't, I couldn't move it. I really wanted to be able to write and put a hair tie on and feed myself and didn't know if that was going to be possible, but we kind of did the opposite of what we, the doctors told us. We, instead of icing it, that's what you're normally supposed to do. We got in a hot tub because heat stimulates healing and it stimulated um, swelling, but for the nerve, it was better to be in a hot tub. So we did all of our training in a hot tub. It was a long process, but um, mm -hmm. definitely one of the worst, like scariest, most painful injuries. What was the point you realized you were gonna get through it? Um, when I could write my name, but it's still, I got so tired because it was mentally draining. I literally, my brain hurt. It was so tired from focusing on like just holding the pencil in my hand. Um, but when I could start to like actually write and I could feed myself, um, I, I was pretty good at eyeliner though on my left hand. My left hand, I, 
that was one thing that I was pretty impressed with myself. I'm like, wow, I could, I'm close to being ambidextrous, but not really. But at least I got my eyeliner. When your uh, trainer got pissed off at you for the broken arm pull up. Uh, Doesn't really phase me very that's, much. That's where you Yeah, uh, it's like, get that's, it from. you know, I, I always take doctor suggestion as like a suggestion and a negotiation as instead of like, this is what it has to be. So I'm like, uh, I know that you told me I should be in this walking boot for six weeks, but I think four weeks is probably going to be pretty good for me. You know, I, I like to, and I usually get them to negotiate down, you know, I'm like, ah, that sounds a little too long. Like, you know, what, what? Do you mean? how do you get a doctor to negotiate because that? It's I like, mean, medical advice is medical. <laughs> okay. So it's like, if I, <laughs> so you peer pressure them totally, based on your, <laughs> totally. uh, you, you missed the 2014 Olympics because of injury, but it was painful to watch very painful because I had done really well and I had won I think I won the race um like the the race before the Olympics the year before and it was a good hill for me and I was just like <sighs> form of torture for sure for me anyways you know you have four years that you're working hard for the Olympics and I was in my prime you know and uh you never know what things will be like in another four years. You know, am I going to be too old uh, to compete? So I just didn't know. I didn't know what would happen, but I knew that that would have been an, a great opportunity for me to have another chance at Olympic medal. And I didn't have that, but you know, everything happens for a reason. Taught me a lot about myself and I can handle a lot, apparently. Long-term damage to the body. Uh, how much, if at all, did you think about it during your career? I didn't really think about it. But now I think about it. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm in pain all the time. Like, I work out not because, I mean, I love working out, and I think it, it, it helps me, you know, get over ski racing. But I also have to work out. If I don't work out, my knee is in extreme pain. Like, I have a hard time walking the dogs for 10 minutes. Um, because if I don't strengthen my muscles around my knee, then it's bone on bone right now. And uh, if I'm not strong enough, then it's unreal painful. So, and that's just one of many joints and injuries that I've had. So I'm really not looking forward to what things look like in 20 years. Um, probably, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, how long do I wait till I get a knee replacement? You know, I. <laughs> This is life now, so how do I how do I manage this to live with as little pain as possible? And I'm trying to make it through because if I had a even a partial knee replacement, I need another replacement in ten years. So how many times? Like I don't know. Is there maximum like knee replacements you can have? Like I don't know that. Yeah. Like, I've already had more stem cell injections than like anyone they've ever done, and it's not really helping. So. Uh, I don't really know what my options are at this point, but I'm hoping that someone comes up with something. You, you'd said the night before uh, your final race, it's really scary to think about not having something I love so much, but I also want a future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's that's exactly how I felt, and I still feel, you know, it's... I still have to look forward to the future. You know, how, at what point is the the risk outweigh the reward? And I had reached that point. Um, I knew that would happen eventually. You know, every athlete does, but it doesn't 
make it easier to accept. Um, and I want to ski when I with my kids. You know, I, I I would like to go on a longer than ten minute walk with my dogs. You know, um, and so that's why I, I stopped because I I'm too too damaged. I know mentally that I could still win. I could still win today, but I don't. The engine's broken. You know. There's no like there's no mechanic that can fix it good enough to be able to compete at a level that I'm confident I can win at. You really b believe that? Yeah, I'm physically I'm I mean and I'm I'm one of many athletes that is experiencing the same thing. I mean, I know athletes that are over on a scale of 1 to 10, they're they're a 12 on pain every day. So I'm not at a 12 yet, but I don't want to get there. Right. <laughs> it's not a fun life. Why don't you ski anymore now? Um, because mentally I still feel like I could win. It's like something died. You know, someone died, you know. Ski racing is dead to me because I can never go back to it. I've done it since I was two and a half years old, and now it's gone. I mean, you can still it's do it, but, it, but because it's not at the competitive level it's like if you're a formula one driver is it going to be really that fun to drive a prius no you know what i mean it's not the same it'll never be the same how long do you think you stay away well i'm not really putting any timeline on it whenever i feel like i want to go skiing i will i mean i'm here in the mountains for a reason but i'm just i'm taking it one step at a time and uh i'll get there when i get there you said before when i don't ski I have a hard time being happy. Uh, why? Uh, I think that's changed a bit now. Um, you know, I think I was just too dependent on skiing. Now, you know, there's a life outside of that and I'm finding so much more fulfillment in other things. Just like having time to myself and with my family and, um, you know, I can go on vacation whenever I want. I can, I can, I can do whatever it is I want to do. I start my own business, start my production company. You know, there's a lot more to life than being the, in the bubble of being an athlete. What was the hardest point for you of the transition, and how did you ultimately get through it? Um, I would say it was the first year after retirement was hard. I was depressed, and you know, it was just it was a really hard time. But you know, I'm lucky that I had PK and I had my family. Um, I had my dogs, of course, my dogs. That really helped me a lot to kind of get over that hump. It, and that's like selling the place in Vail tied in with, with that as well. You were talking about a bit earlier. The amount of days and time that I spent in my house in Vail, in bed, I couldn't get past it. I'm like, I, I can't. All I think about is being injured. And I love the town of Vail and everyone there has been so supportive of me. And, um, but it just, it was too many memories that I just would rather put behind me. People probably are unaware of how like lonely being an elite athlete or somebody that excels is at the top of their profession, how, how lonely that can be. And even if that's not the case for you now, um, at various points in your career, how lonely was it? Exceptionally lonely. I mean, that's why I got a dog. How many dogs can he have? You know, I have three dogs. I'm, 
I've become, I'm becoming like the crazy dog lady. So I had to, you know, call it quits at three. <laughs> um, but, you know, you win and there's all this excitement and, you know, everyone's like, oh, this is great. And then you go home and it's, you're in an empty hotel room in a foreign country. And like, who do I call? I don't know. I just, you're by yourself and there's not enough, you know, uh, Netflix, Amazon shows to, you know, make you forget that. How many Christmases were you by yourself? I mean, I missed my birthday and Christmas every year from the time I was 15 until 27, maybe. You eventually need to be around family and friends at some point. When I was kind of in my heyday, I was uh, traveling from October until end of March. You know, that's, that's a lot of time, and that, that wears on you. The deeper you get into it, like the more time you're away, the deeper you dig in on your life revolving around skiing. And that's, you have to focus on that, you know. Be very simple-minded, not let your thoughts wander. So d tell me about the four-day Harvard Business School course that you took. Um, that was awesome. It was probably one of the best experiences I've had, you know, outside of like skiing. Um, because I, I missed school, you know, I was only, I was like a part-time student um, when I was in high school um, at the Vail High School, Battle Mountain High School, and then I did most of it online because I didn't meet the state requirements for attendance, ironically. Um, so, you know, I didn't really have a school experience. I never went to college, and that was one of the things my dad always wanted me to do is go to college. I'm like, well, you know, Dad, I'm like 34 years old. Like, am I really going to go to college now? And, uh, but I was really excited because I was like, I got into Harvard, even though it's a four-day business program, but still I still Harvard. like bought a Harvard sweatshirt and I was like so proud of it. I was very nervous. Um, I mean, it's really intimidating going to Harvard, especially having not really graduated like a normal high school and not going to college. <laughs> I'm like, when I got accepted, I, I, she called me and I'm like, are you sure that I got in? Because like, I don't, I don't really have that much education. So I went and it was, yeah, I met so many amazing people. I learned a lot about myself, about actually the knowledge that I do have, um, because I run my own business, you know, my, my brand, my social media, that's all done by me. I expanded my mind a lot. You know, I thought I was pretty ahead of things as far as like, you know, how I'm building my business. And, and I realized that, wow, I, I have a lot to learn still. Uh, uh, your production company. How long has it been in the works for? Um, I'd say two years when working on it. And, you know, I grew up with Claire Brown, who's um, running my production company. And she was helping me my last season kind of with the media. She'd been running a, a ski racing magazine. Um, and she was a publisher and editor. And she has a skill set. And I was like, you know, we want, I want to tell stories that aren't being told and you want to tell stories that aren't being told. How do we, how do we make this together? And so we came up with Opry Productions and um, I'm really happy, you know, she's done a great job. We have some really cool stuff in the works. Can't tell you yet, but we have a really big project coming up. 
Um, and uh, it's really exciting, you know, these kinds of new challenges are what I really need, which is part of the reason why I stay busy, you know, I need something to, you know, work towards and challenge me every day. And this is just another one of those things. Anything that you can tell? I really want to. I, I tried to get permission to say it, but I can't. Assuming like that happens in, in the way you want, um, what would that mean? We want to tell stories that haven't been told and, and also that are personally engaging to us. Um, you know, ski racing is a sport that not many people really understand as far as the history of, of ski racing and, and, you know, women and men that have, what they've gone through to make it is, make it what it is today. And, um, and also people that have greatly impacted me in my career and to be able to tell those stories um, is a really great and unique opportunity, and um, and I want to I want to tell stories like the first female downhill skier. I mean, there's a lot of women that are not going to be alive very long. You know, want to get these stories out there um, and really empower people, especially women. So hopefully, beyond this upcoming project, we have I hope we have a lot of. Um, projects that are really able to expand on on those thoughts and, and really empower people. And how did that documentary that you did about your final season impact the desire on your end to do this? Well, it just showed me how impactful it can be. I mean, so many people came up to me after the HBO documentary and said, you know, wow, I didn't know you went through all that with your injuries. You know, I, I had an ACL injury or I had, you know, this injury, you know, how how can I recover from it? Or, you know, I relate so much to your, you know, to, to everything you're going through it. And hearing those inspirational stories from other people who've watched a documentary really showed me that it's so much more than ski racing. You know, a lot of people know me not for my ski racing, but for overcoming adversity. And um, that was empowering to me. And it's, it was a, a privilege to be able to, to see the impact that it had on others and knowing that 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 is possible taking that and then creating other projects that can hopefully do the same and did i read you're working on something with robert redford mm-hmm yeah what, what's involved with that ah he's the best um yeah it's in the works we're uh, a resident out here yeah well. he's close nearby um but yeah we've been working on that project for a long time now and you know, one thing I've learned is that movies take a lot longer to produce than than I ever imagined. <laughs> uh, lastly, in the production company front, uh, well, like long term, what do you want to achieve with it? I just want to inspire people. You know, I want to share stories that are powerful and uh, emotional, and it's like the little guy, you know, that no one tells stories about. You know, like my friend Alice McKinnis. She's had more surgeries than I have, and she grew up racing with my sister, and she's still racing. She's shattered pretty much every bone in her body. I think there's maybe just like one part of her leg that doesn't have a metal rod in it. She was fourth in the Olympics in Pyeongchang, and no one talks about her story, or she's fifth. No one talks about her story, but that's a story that I want to tell because she is a, an incredibly strong woman, and uh, you know, if no one's going to tell it, then I will. How did you get the idea for the foundation? I met Peekaboo Street when I was nine at a ski shop in Minnesota. And because of, I met her, I said to myself, I want to be her. And what she did is really what drove me 
to want to be in the Olympics. And so I thought, you know, if one person can inspire my life by meeting her for a minute and a half, you know, what, what can I do? What positive impact can I make if I spend a whole day with a child? You know, what can I inspire them to do? And it doesn't have anything to do with ski racing. But sometimes, you know, kids, they just need a little push. They need someone to say, you can do it. You know, it's shocking how many people actually tell children they can't do something. And that changes the course of their life because they remember that forever. You know, there's a very, there's a moment in a child's life like 11 to 16 where they're so impressionable. And you say one wrong thing to them and that can take them on a totally different path. You say one positive thing and it can take them on a totally different path. So my foundation is we want to empower kids. We want to inspire them. I have strong girls camps um, where we teach them about goal setting, like self-confidence, um, how to change a negative thought into a positive one. I have scholarships. Um, I have free community programs. So we're just trying to encourage kids to believe in themselves. I feel like everyone's put on the earth for a certain reason. And I thought I was ski racing for a long time. Ski racing is just a vehicle for me to do other things that are more positive and where I can help people. What made you have that realization? After my, I started my foundation, you know, seeing the impact, like I had a, I had a girl, a young girl who uh, cut herself. And um, after my camp, she stopped doing it. And like that made me so happy. And I was like, this is what I'm here for. I mean, you, you take a, a child that wants to kill herself and I can help her. Sorry. What uh, about her story uh, resonated with you so much? I don't know. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what does a ski racer have to do with, you know, some kid who's underprivileged, you know, it just, I was like, that's how I can help people. Sorry. It's okay. I mean, it, it, it has it to be. It makes me emotional because it's, it's powerful. And, you know, I, I never set out to do, I, I just wanted to ski fast, you know. And if I can help one person, which I, which I felt like I did, you know, then it's, it means something. It's more than just winning. You know, it's not about breaking records. Although for me, it's meant so much to me my whole life. But in the end, you know, what value are you bringing to the world? And I felt like I found that value. How did you find out the impact that uh, your foundation had on her? She was brought to me by a friend. And she came to my strong girls camp and uh, and afterwards we stayed in touch you know we had exchanged cell phone numbers and i don't know she just we always wrote each other and she was like you know i i stopped cutting myself i don't i want to i want to live and that makes me happy because i i want I don't want a kid to want to take their own life. That has to be the most gratifying feeling in the world to, like, actually... It is. That's why I'm crying. It's yeah. like, you know... It's making an impact, and I, 
that's what makes me happy is, you know, who cares if I blew my knee out five million times, you know? One, I helped one girl not want to kill herself. Tell about career day and what you do with that. I love career day because, you know, it's the same concept as, as you know, me meeting Peekaboo and inspiring me is, is, you know, through COVID, you know, kids aren't able to go to school. You know, they feel like they're, na they're depressed and down and it's like what, you know, they don't have anything to look forward to. And so I thought, well, what if I can connect, you know, these girls and their heroes on Zoom and, you know, help them stay positive and help them continue to work hard to whatever it is they want to do. And I mean, I had an astronaut on there with one of our um, scholarship winners who wants to be an aerospace engineer, um, which is awesome. I wanted something for them, for the kids to look at, you know, and say, okay, you know, there is still future. I can still do something even though we're trapped indoors and, you know, everything seems to be, I don't know, I felt really depressed just being trapped inside. And, and so I felt like maybe this can help a little bit. And I know that the girls that were on the call, I helped a lot, but um, I hope that it inspired other girls as well. You know, it's it's like women impacting women, you know, strong strong women who have broken barriers and, and defied uh, stereotypes and then helping them, the other, the young generation, you know, do the same and do even more with that. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And, and then lastly, on the foundation front, and I know I asked you a similar question about the production company, but just long-term goals with it. I mean, everyone, my sister included, criticizes me because she's like, well, you, we need to have a more definitive goal and a more definitive plan. I'm like, I don't really want to because I, I want it to be open. I want to help as many, the goal is to help as many children as possible in whatever way that is. Um, whether it's scholarships or programs, you know, I, I want to, I've been partnering with other, with other uh, foundations to kind of help them, like find my way to help as many people as possible. And there's not, you know, one definitive path to that. I don't know how I'll, you know, get there, but the goal is just to help. Thanks for listening to my 2020 chat with Lindsey Vaughn. To see our hike around her 24-acre property, plus a workout at the U.S. Ski Center of Excellence, go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger.